want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 Kings. We're in a, uh, 1 Kings chapter 20. You know, I, be, I believe we're gonna we're gonna go th- start a, a series. I think, <laughs> um, talking about uh, seasons in our lives and the mountain and valley seasons. You know, and what you're like that is a lot of Christian needs right there. Let me just tell you what I just spoke. <laughs> if you've not been in church a while, that was that was straight up. Ph.D. Christianese. <laughs> what I mean by that, if you haven't been in church too long or don't know Christianese, you know what Christianese is? Everybody know what that is? It's a language we use in church and we think everybody knows what it means and someone comes in that's not a part of church and says, we start using these words, you got the mountains and valleys and seasons and we're like, are you going to talk about the weather or geography or what? I mean, I, I, <laughs> like, is this a class? I mean, uh, what... <laughs> So, trying to get better about explaining what we're what we're talking about, right? We just we just throw words out. So, uh, you know what what is a mountain time in our lives? Basically, that's that's the high point, right? That's like the the victorious, amazing times in life where it's like you and God. It's the best time ever. Uh, whether that's you know in a personal time with you and God, whether that's like a camp or a conference or some retreat where you just meet God and God does something powerful in you. That's the mountain, you know, I mean, you think about the mountains in the Bible, you know, Moses goes up the mountain and he meets with God and he sees the glory of God. He, want, he gets the Ten Commandments. He has this amazing encounter with the presence of God, uh, you know, that um, Jesus goes up on the mountain. He commissions his disciples. Elijah goes up on the mountain and he has this encounter with God and he hears from God. And so. Uh, the mountains represent the times in our lives where we're on a spiritual high, where we have that amazing time with God, where everything's clicking, where it seems like there's no lids, there's no barriers, there's, you know, I'm victorious in Jesus and you're living the dream, whatever word you want to use, it's, it's, got, it's exciting. But then there's also the valley times in our lives. And what are the valley times? The valley times are when you're walking through something challenging and difficult where it seems like, you know, that you've forgotten about the mountain time. You've forgotten about that spiritual high where you're going through a time where it might be dark. It might be, it might be, uh, there might be a lot of doubt in your, in your spirit, in your mind. You're dealing with issues. There's confusion. There's things going on. And you know, all throughout the Bible, there's seasons where there's things going on in the valleys and there's things going on in the mountains. And so I want to take you to this scripture uh, to make a declaration before we go through this for a couple of weeks. Um, I wasn't supposed to be here this week. I was supposed to be on vacation, uh, but I uh, got iced out, you know. Um, so I wasn't even prepared in some ways. I feel like, I feel like I'm, am I supposed to be here? Uh, but I won't be here next week. So you can still come, though. <laughs> you can still come. Dave, Dave, Dave will be bringing an amazing word, but it won't be on the mountains and valleys unless he decides to change it up or something. So he's free to do that. But, uh, you know, the mountains and the valleys, 
And 1 Kings 20, uh, we have a declaration. We have, a, we have the people of God going on. This, let me set the scene for you. You've got the people of God are Israel and Judah. And right now we're dealing with Israel. And Israel is basically walking away from God. Almost every single king in Israel, all bad. Every single one of them says they didn't follow God and they worshiped idols and they did all kinds of bad stuff. And so they, they were not following God. In Judah, there was a few good ones, like you can count them on one hand. I think there's like five or six. But um, in Israel, they're all bad. But God is still working. You know, like if you've heard of Elijah, which we're going to, this is around this time when Elijah is around, and Eli, well, Elisha, excuse me, um, has just been called. And those guys were sent to Israel. They were sent to the, to the people who, in general, were not following God. They weren't sent to the people of Judah who were, who were off and on with God. They were sent to the people who were forsaking God, who were worshiping other gods and doing all this horrible stuff. And, but Elijah and Elisha are sent to them, and God is still working because they were his covenant people. It's a great thing to know that when you come into covenant with God, it's not always dependent upon your ability to follow God, but he keeps his side of the covenant. Aren't you, aren't you glad for that? That when you come into a covenant relationship with Jesus, that's what it means to be a Christian. You're in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And he has opened the way for us to have a relationship with God the Father himself and have all the benefits of heaven and have all that. It's, it's a covenant that he paid for with his own blood. He paid for with his death and his resurrection. And now he's sitting in heaven and he is the mediator of a new covenant. And so when you enter into this covenant, he says there's one, there's, there's, there's only one way to enter into the covenant. You have to repent and believe. You have to turn away from your old way of life and old way of thinking and old way of going and believe in Jesus and trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he has done what he said he did, and that he will do what he says he will do. And he says, that's the condition of the covenant. And God says, I'm going to keep my condition. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to deliver you from evil. I'm going to cleanse you from sin. I'm going to make you a new person. I'm going to bring you from death to light, from darkness to light. I'm going to, I'm going to change your life. You're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're going to be my children. You're going to be empowered. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to put my mark and my name on you. And you're going to be my representatives in all the earth of who I am and release the blessing and Bring as many people as possible into the same covenant that you are in. But it's not dependent upon my obedience. If I disobey God, I'm not out of the covenant. Right? It's not, it's not like if I, if I commit a horrible sin this week, I'm not, necessar- I'm not suddenly not a child of God. Because the covenant is not dependent upon my performance. It's dependent upon my confession of faith and my trust in Jesus that he is keeping me, that he is saving me, that he is changing me. And so even in the Old Testament, they were a part of the old 
covenant. There was agreement with God where God says, I'll do this, and if you do this. Now, theirs had a little bit more of a condition on it because it was a covenant of the law. But even in the midst when they were breaking their side of the covenant, God was still reaching out to them in love and saying, I'm going to do things for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring you back to me, not by, you know, only in judgment as a last resort, but I'm going to woo you with my love and my blessing and my deliverance and my freedom. And that's what's happening right now with Israel. There will be a time where God says, I have to let you be taken captive because it's the only way out. This is the only way to turn your heart. I mean, God will let us go through you know, really hard times if it's the only way to get us to freedom. Because He's good. So this is, this is the, the context of what's going on. There's an evil king named, named Ahab. And he's married to the evil queen Jezebel. Ich, right? We, nobody, don't pick that name out of the Bible for your kids, okay? <laughs> Some people are like, I want to use a Bible name. <laughs> Jezebel. Oh, well, that's a good girl's name, right? No, no, it's, well, I'm not saying there hasn't been somebody named that, but uh, it's not a very popular one because uh, she is known as one of the most wicked people on the face of the earth, uh, according to the Old Testament. And so, Ahab and Jezebel are in charge, but God is still doing things for, their, for the kingdom. It's like the love and commitment of God to his people is amazing. To me, that's like God's heart for his people over and over again, it says. So, the, so it says that uh, the king of Aram is mustering an army and is going to attack them. And so God comes and says, I'm going I'm to defend you. And I'm going I'm to free you. And so... Uh, this army mounts an attack and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. And they, so they, 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 they attack Ahab and Israel. And so the prophet comes to Ahab and, and makes a promise. He says, do you see this amazing army? Not his army, he's the army that's attacking him. Do you see this, this huge army? This is what the Lord says. I will give it into your hand today and then you will know that I am the Lord. And so God delivers them from their enemies, even though this is Ahab. He's not paying attention to God. He's not walking with God. He's not, he's not trying to follow God. In fact, he's taking people away from God. And it says this in verse 22, that after they had delivered him, it says, the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, strengthen your position and see what must be done, because next spring the king of Aram will attack you again. In other words, you're going to face this same enemy next spring. So in verse 23, it says, Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, this is the enemy talking, and he says this, Their gods, in other words, Israel, the people, the people of God, their gods are the gods of the hills or the mountains. That's why they were too strong for us. But if we fight them in the plains or the valleys... Surely we will be stronger than they. Do this. Remove all the kings from their commands and replace them with other officers. Raise up an army, not like the one you lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot. Basically, they're going to they're gonna come at them even better than before. And so they agreed to act accordingly. Verse 26. The next spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. When the Israelites were also mustered and given provisions, 
They marched out to meet them, and the Israelites camped opposite them like two small flocks of goats, while the Arameans covered the countryside. So here, once again, it's the people of God have very few, and the enemy has what looks like an insurmountable army that is facing them. And listen, what this, this is the verse right here that we're trying to get to. And the man of God came up and told the king of Israel. This is the, an unnamed man of God. It could have been Elijah. This is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think the Lord is the God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. Here's the truth of our, of our lives. That Jesus is Lord of both the mountains and the valleys. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether I'm on the mountaintop with Jesus, uh, you know, the upper room in Acts chapter 2, that was another mountaintop experience when the Holy Spirit comes down on the people of God for the very first time and they're baptized, they're filled, there's amazing things that happen. But then, just a couple chapters later in Acts, the apostles are being arrested, they're being beaten, some of them are being killed for their faith. They're in the valley season, they're being persecuted, so they have to flee from their homes. Uh, loved ones that they, they care for are being killed for their faith. They're in the middle of the valley, but just a, you know, just a little bit ago, they were on the mountaintop experience with God, but Jesus is Lord of both times in our lives. Doesn't matter if you're in the valley, doesn't matter if you're on the mountain, doesn't matter if you're in the season of weeping, it doesn't matter if you're in the season of rejoicing, that Jesus is Lord of every season and time in our lives. And he invites us, I mean, he's Lord no matter what, but he invites us to partner with him in making him Lord of our life in every season and every time. Because Jesus is not a king who forces himself on anyone. His, his rule is not a, a, a force, is, is not a rule of force, it's a rule of love. And so he comes to us in love and says, I want to be Lord. And then I'm going to take you through something that's going to test your faith in my lordship. It's going to test whether you really believe that I am still the king, that I am still who I say I am in your life. And it doesn't matter what enemy would come into our lives that wants to bring something that's not true. It says, oh, that's because you were on the mountaintop. But wait till you get in the valley. That's where I can beat you. That's where I'm going to take you down. Now, if you know anything about um, just geography in general, the, the interesting thing about valleys is there's also a lot of blessing in the valley. There's a lot of fruitfulness that happens in the valley. If you remember the... Uh, if you've ever heard of a gentleman named Joseph from the Old Testament, his story is found in, in Genesis 37 through 50. And Joseph is a man who has an amazing encounter with God when he's 17 years old. When he's 17 years old, he has two prophetic dreams. 
He has true dreams. That a prophetic dream is just a dream that God gives you. In other words, it wasn't just his mind making things up. It wasn't just his mind blowing off steam like our normal dreams are. Like, I needed to get that out of my head. And so I think that's what dreams are sometimes. Getting out these strange thoughts of our head. Um, you know, nobody has dreams like that. <laughs> I was making sure you're all awake. You're all like, huh? My dreams are strange sometimes. I mean, if you ever, you know, they're just weird. Uh, and then every once in a while, I was like, well, that might mean something. So Joseph has not just a strange dream. He has, he has a dream that's directly from God that is, that is marking the destiny and promise in his life. And the dreams are this. Uh, he's gathering bundles of grain and his brothers, he's got uh, 11 brothers. And so it says his brothers' bundles of grains bowed down to his bundles of grain. And then he has a second dream, of course, which is basically it says, I, you know, I'm in the stars and the sun, moon and the stars are bowing down in front of me. And so his brothers didn't like the dream, of course, because it basically the dream was saying, I'm going to rule over you. I'm going to be your Lord and you're going to bow down to me. And they're like, no, we aren't. <laughs> and so his brothers, they begin to hate him. He was also his father's favorite. His father was playing favorites, which is not good when you have kids, right? And so he bought him a really nice robe. He made him a really nice, colorful robe. Was, you know, basically the fine linen. It would have been just an amazing blessing. And only Joseph got one. I mean, he had 12 boys. But he only gave to one boy, he only gave a special robe. I mean, it's kind of like you show up at Christmas. And, you know, if you show up at Christmas and only one of your kids gets anything... Guess what happens to the other kids, right? They're a little bit upset. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm only giving, <laughs> we're only giving gifts to Sawyer this year. <laughs> Not going to work. Hey, guys, it's only Ara Lee this year. Uh, hopefully, Gigi and Batpaw will come through. But uh, <laughs> in our house, we're only giving out gifts to one child this year. It's not going to be a good, good mor- Christmas morning, whatever it is, right? <laughs> oh, man. And so, you know, the same thing happened in Jacob's life. It's kind of like passed down through their family. They were just doing the work, living in the brokenness that they continued to live in. And so his brothers sell him into slavery, right? They, they, they're so angry with him, they're going to kill him. They decide to, instead, we're not, we're not that evil. We're just only going to sell him into slavery. We don't want to commit the really bad sin, <laughs> so we're just going to do a kind of bad sin. And so they, they send him, you know, he's sold into slavery. And so Joseph, I mean, the farthest thing from his mind, from his situation, looks like the promise of God in his life and what God has promised him. He's gone from a mountain to a valley. He's gone from the time where it's like, I, I heard God. He showed me something amazing. He probably didn't have the wisdom yet to communicate it. He probably didn't understand that those dreams were for him. He didn't need to announce them the next morning and say, Guys, gather around. I had a dream again. (laughs) It's about you bowing down. and You want to practice? (laughs) You just get down on your knee like this, man. Just get down. You know, so there was a little bit of wisdom lacking. So God's like, we got to work some things in your life and get you ready to fulfill the dream. And so I want to summarize this. So anyway, there's all kinds of things that happen in Joseph's life. He goes up. 
And then he goes down again. He ends up in prison. He's, he's there for a long, long time. And when he's 30 years old, he finally gets an opportunity to interpret the king of Egypt's dream, the pharaoh, who has a dream. And this guy, other guy who was in prison with Joseph remembers him and says, oh, there's this guy in prison that can interpret dreams amazingly. You should call for him. I mean, this also tells you how desperate this king was. He's like, okay, we'll just bring the, some dude out of prison <laughs> and we're going to let him interpret my dream. It's an incredible story. Of course, you know, it'll preach like no other that, you know, from the prison to the palace in one day. I mean, how amazing is that? And so he comes, he interprets Pharaoh's dream and then Pharaoh says, okay, now you're going to be in charge of all of Egypt in one day. But then Joseph, that wasn't the fulfillment of his dream. I mean, that was an awesome mountaintop experience. That was a cool deal. That was exciting. But the fulfillment of his dream didn't happen till his brothers returned nine years later. So it took Joseph roughly 22 years to see the fulfillment of God's promise in his life. I've noticed in the Bible there's a lot of waiting. <laughs> it's very disturbing. <laughs> it should disturb us, right? It's very disturbing sometimes. Sometimes there's no waiting, right? And there's no formula. There's no way to just, like, can I push this button? And like, God, I don't want the Joseph button. I want the... <laughs> I want the person that came to Jesus and boom, they just got healed. You know, where's that button? You know, how do I get to that one sometimes? And God's like, you have to trust me. You have to make me Lord of your life and to know that I'm going to release you into that when the time is right. That I, I am really know what I'm doing, that I really am a good king, that I really do love you. I'm a good father, but I know what, what you need to be doing right now. And I know what you need to be going through right now. And Joseph had to be tested. It says in Psalm 105 that the word of the Lord tested Joseph until he was ready to basically receive it, proved him to where he was formed into the person to where he could handle the promise of God in his life. Where he could handle people bowing down to him and he wouldn't receive it as glory for himself, but he would use his authority to minister freedom to a whole nation and a whole region. And so his character had to be built in the valleys so that he could rule on the mountain with the right heart with the right spirit and with the right actions, when his brothers return and they bow down to him, he doesn't take revenge on them. Instead, it's the deliverance of God for the people of God. The 12 tribes of Israel are the family that Joseph was a part of that became the people of God, that ultimately births Jesus. That's the reason we're here today. And so God is working this amazing plan. He had to take someone who had the heart like Jesus, who would rule like Jesus, and he had to take him through the prison. He had to take him through rejection. He had to take him through pain and suffering so that he was ready to rule with the right heart. So that he could stand on the mountain and not proclaim his own gospel, his own good news, but minister the gospel, the good news of God, 
the Father in the Old Testament, and for us it would be the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when Joseph had two children before his brothers had even came, uh, got to go to it because I'm going to I'm going to mess up their names. So I'm going to I'm going to turn. So he he gets married. He has a has a wife in, in Egypt. He's got his new life going on. And it says then that Joseph has two kids and he names them specifically. Let's see. There they are. So he names his firstborn son Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. In other words, he was saying, I release the past. So he named his first kid, I'm releasing all of that stuff. Then the second one is very interesting. It says the second son he named Ephraim, or Ephraim, traditionally how we've said it, and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. I'm going to adapt that and say, God has made me fruitful in my valley, in the place of my valley. In order for him to be fruitful in the valley, Joseph first had to release the past. He first had to had to allow the sting of all that stuff that had happened to him to be released to say, I have to have a Manasseh before I have an Ephraim. If I don't get the Manasseh, I'm not ready for the Ephraim. I'm not ready for the fruitfulness in the land of the suffering. I'm not ready for the fruitfulness in the valley. And that's, that's, that's so many times how, how the Lord works in our lives. Think about this. I want us to, here's a familiar psalm, right? Psalm 23. If you want to turn there, you probably know it, right? Uh, well, not all of us do know it, right? That's another Christianese assumption, right? That everybody knows what scripture we're reading. So Psalm 23 is a famous scripture, and it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's all really good. Uh, Fortunately, there's verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, as it's traditionally in the King James. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. As amazing as that psalm is, there's a really horrific valley right in the middle of it. It says, even though I'm walking through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, that's a representation of the worst thing that's ever happened. The darkest place you've ever been. We find out things about God that we couldn't find out about him on the mountain. There's a revelation of the character of God in our valley seasons that we cannot get on the mountain. 
You can only get him in the valley. And so we have to follow Jesus wherever he leads us because he is a good shepherd. And sometimes we're going on the mountain, but sometimes he says, time for a valley. We're going to go down a little bit. It's going to get dark a little bit. There's going to be a little bit of fear that comes into your life. There's going to be a little bit of doubt that comes in. There's going to be things around you. There's going to be enemies that are going to face you. But in the midst of that, you're going to recognize my presence. It says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You know, the one thing that will sustain you in any season is the presence of God. Is the presence of God himself. I mean, it's the, it's one of the last thing that Jesus said when he was on earth. He gave the Great Commission. He said, preach the gospel, make disciples in all nations, baptizing them. But then as he was ascending to heaven, he said, for I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you until the very end of the age. In other words, I'm never going to leave you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, it says in the Old Testament. Uh, it, and it's transferred into the new as well. It's the same thing here in the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me. That's probably one of the, one of the things we have to know most in the valley seasons is get connected to the presence of God. Say, God, I got, I, got to, I got to know you're here. Sometimes, and I'm not talking about a feeling, because it does, it's not always a feeling. The presence of God is not always a feeling. Because <laughs> if I waited till I just always felt God, man, what, you know, some days be good, some days be bad, right? Like, I, I feel God today. You know, as spirit-filled people, as, you know, people who are in the Pentecostal stream, sometimes we, we, we're in the feelings and we, we're not trying to get rid of feelings. We're not trying to go on the other side and not have any feelings at all and not God have, you know, move, move us. But we also don't want to rely on our feelings as the source of what is truth. Because my feelings, I think, did my wife say this the other week when she preached? I think she did, something about this. You know, our feelings are real, but they're not always true. In other words, I'm not trying to, we're not pretending. That's what the Word of Faith movement tried to do, where they got off track. A lot, there were a lot of good things, but where they got off track was faith was just pretending that something was real instead of, you know, even though I, didn't, I just can't say anything bad. If I say something bad, it might happen. It's like, wait a second. That's just, we're, just, we're just pretending. We're just going to say it. And God says, no, I want, it, I want it to be in your heart. I don't want it to be just, you know, just some, some formula you say when you just, well, I, I just have to speak out this thing and then it's going to happen. It's just going to be magic. We want magic, right? We want spirituality to be magical. But we're not in a Disney movie. <laughs> okay, if you didn't know, if you haven't figured that out yet in your life... <laughs> That is not reality. <laughs> it's fun and it's a nice distraction, but man, you know, there's... <laughs> there's not, you know, there's not always a happy ending on earth. There's not always a happy ending on earth. God doesn't promise a happy ending on earth. He promises it in eternity... 
But on earth, he says, I'll be with you. And I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And he says, I'll, but I will also prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. So whatever your enemy is that you're facing right now, he says, look, when you're in the valley, that's where you, that's where you face the enemies most times, is in the valley season where the enemies become a whole lot more real, where the, the challenges and the trials and the things that you're facing, you're like, man, that thing is really big and really loud right now. On the mountain, it's like, oh, I only hear the voice of God. <laughs> Just me and God, Moses and Moses and God. You're like, yeah. When Moses comes down, what happens? You know, well, the first time he comes down, they're worshiping a golden calf. <laughs> like, what is going on here with you people? <laughs> so, you know, when we're in the valley season, that's when we're facing our enemies. And, and God says, here's a promise for the valley. Look for the table. Look for God's table. What is he preparing for you in the middle of your valley? Of the, in the middle of the, the challenges that you're facing right now, where is he saying, come sit down and here's what I'm going to feed you. Here's what I'm, what I'm blessing you with. It looks dark all around. Look, the enemies are still there. The valley of the shadow of death, you're still in it. You haven't changed locations Nothing has changed except your posture and what you are receiving into yourself. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's always a table. He's always got a table. He's always got something that is prepared for us in those seasons where we can sit down and we can receive spiritual life. We can receive health. We can feed on the goodness of God. Uh, maybe, we, maybe our feelings don't change. Maybe we don't feel any better. But spiritually we're like going, I'm going to choose to receive that into my life. I'm going to choose to say, God, what are you placing in front of me right now? What are you wanting to receive into myself right now? What are you feeding me right now? I want to consume what you are giving because my enemies are all around and the valley is dark. What am I going to do? I have to sit down. I have to put myself in a place of rest and say, God, I'm going to quit trying to figure out how to get out of here and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to receive from you. I'm going to trust that your presence is with me. I'm going to believe that you're the good shepherd, that you're going to lead me, that there will be quiet waters again, there will be a still soul again, that there will be deliverance from my enemies again. And it says, you sit down at the table and then it says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You have to sit at the table first before the anointing comes. So if you're like, I don't, I don't, what's, where's, where's all, where's the, where's the power, where's the presence? Find the table first. Feed on him first. Consume what God is giving you first. Get the word of God into you. Get the word of God into you more and more and more. Get the truth of God into you. Over and over again. Get his presence. Get, get worship in flowing in your life. Especially a sacrifice of praise. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me 
all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The great news is this, that when, you, when you're through the valley, guess what? The other side of a valley is always a mountain. I mean, it's how geography works. There's, some, there's, there's somewhere where you go up. And so many times the valley prepares you to scale the next mountain. You know, to get to that next place in your life where, you're, where you grow. Because that's really what it's about. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to be transformed. When we look back five years, you know, I look back five years, I should go, man, I'm a stronger person. I'm a, I have a better character. I look more like Jesus. Uh, I'm not the same thing. I'm not the same person. Hallelujah, as I was. You know, so that, that we should be able to look back you know, in a healthy way and say, I'm different. I've been changed. I've been, I've been, I'm more free. I'm more loving. I'm more humble. I'm, maybe I'm more broken in a good way. I'm, I'm more compassionate toward others. I have more mercy. You know, I was reading last night in the book of Jude, and it, you know, it says that you know, we, need a, we need to just hand out mercy to people. What people need a lot of times is not judgment. They need They need mercy. They need the mercy of God in their lives. And so, you know, hand out mercy. But I got to get it in my own life before I can give it out to somebody else. But every time we go through the valley, we just want to be prepared and equipped. Just like Joseph was, that Joseph's character was tested to where he could be in that place of authority. Now, all of us aren't called to be in the place Joseph was. And that's okay. God's, God has a unique calling and unique uh, giftings in your life where He's going to place you, the influence He's going to give you. But he, whatever He's going to give you, whether it's, you know, if it's influence over two people, that's influence over two people. That's a, God entrusting you with someone. Those of us that are parents, if nothing else, God's entrusted us with our children and said, you're going to have influence in these people's lives. And man, if... For those of you that don't have kids or haven't had kids, that's one of the most challenging things you will ever do in your life is raise children. <laughs> Lord, where's the table? <laughs> where's the table in the presence of my children? <laughs> you prepare a table before me in the presence of my children. We adapted that. I'll have to tell my wife that one later. Uh, <laughs> after after last week, uh, <laughs> oh, us guys, we just get to go to work, right? We <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Have a great time. Where's the table? So God prepares our hearts in the valleys for the next mountain, and so we're going to explore that. So I'm, I'm just going to put a pause button here because I have talked long enough. Uh, but I just want to—I want to pray over us before we bring our leaders up. We'll bring our leaders up, and we want to—we want to pray over you. Anything you need this morning, uh, if you need to receive Jesus, if you need healing in your body, uh, whatever it is, you just need someone to agree with you about a situation. But I want to—I want to pray over us, and we're just going to put a comma here with whether you're in the valley or the mountain right now. Let's go ahead and all—we'll—we'll we'll stand up, kind of change positions. Sometimes that just helps us refocus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
We just thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for speaking to us. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, right now that if we're in, on the highest mountain or in the darkest valley, we just declare that Jesus, you're Lord of my life. Let's just say that right now. Jesus, you're Lord of, of my life. Yes, Lord. You're Lord of my life, God. We choose to trust you. We choose to believe in you. We choose to lay ourselves before you, God. I pray for a revelation, God, of what you're feeding us. God, I pray for a revelation of the the table that's before us. If we're in the valley time, that we would sit down. We would rest in you. We would try to quit doing it on our own. We would try to quit being frantic, Lord, that some of us are frantic in our spiritual lives, that, that our, our prayer life is a, is a frantic plea, God. And when you just want us to sit down at a table and fellowship with you and let you feed us with peace and joy and love and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, God, is at your table. <laughs> and it tastes really good. And it's really good for us in our relationships, God. Help us be full of the fruit that you would give us, of the the bread of the body of Jesus and the wine of, of his blood, the freedom and the healing that are in your table of the covenant that you've given to us. Lord, I just pray for strength. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you'd strengthen our hearts for those of us that are being tested. Right now, we we invite you to form our hearts to look like Jesus. We invite you to make our our hearts look like Jesus. Change our hearts, God, so that we we can talk like you and think like you and act like you. But it's got to start on the inside. Lord, we just pray for a forming of of our innermost self to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's really what it's all about, Lord. If we don't look like Jesus, it doesn't matter if we're on a valley or a mountain or somewhere in between. It doesn't matter. But if we look like Jesus, we're going to represent him and we're going to walk like him in his authority, in his love, in his humility, no matter what place you put us in, God. No matter what place we find ourselves in this broken world. And we just thank you, Lord. I pray for an awareness of your presence. Just right now, Holy Spirit, just an awareness of your presence. I pray that some who who are dealing with, that feel like you maybe have abandoned them, God, I just pray for a revelation of your presence that you've you've never left. That you're right there in the middle of, of this time in their lives, God. And we thank you for that. Lord, we just thank you that you prepare our hearts that we can walk in a mountain or a valley, Lord, with Jesus as Lord. With ourselves submitted to your Lordship, God. We just thank you for that. In Jesus' name. I want to invite our, our leaders, those, those that are, are praying this morning. Any of our leaders are welcome to come pray. But if you, need, if you need healing in your body, you need a breakthrough spiritually, whatever that might be. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, uh, don't leave here today without doing that. Don't, don't leave here without receiving the benefit and the relationship with God that he is longing for, that he paid for with his, with his own blood. So if you need prayer for something else, we invite you. And tonight, if you want to do home group, come see Michael and Elizabeth right here on the second row here and arrange with them to, for home group tonight. But if you need to go, be blessed as you go. If you need prayer, come receive prayer before you go.